I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Vanda Canton, podcast host and producer of Three Ain't a Crowd. Vanda is an artist, facilitator, consultant, and researcher providing workshops, group courses, and individual mentoring, exploring how spoken word, poetry, rap, and creative writing can enhance mental health and social cohesion. She's worked across community projects, mental health services, and forensic psychiatric hospitals. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, chapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated Do you have a specific place you want to start? Hmm. I mean, that, I think we should start with that question because it's a very, it reminds me of being in therapy and dreading that question. So how, I kind of want to turn it around on you and ask why you start with that question because it's quite big, no? Like it's a big space to fill. Yeah, that's exactly why. It's because I'm an analyst and I'm used to letting the other person start wherever they want and just kind of following their lead and their associations as to where to go from there. Whereas I know a lot of podcasters like pre-planned questions and that sort of thing. But like when I've been on the other end of that, sometimes it works out okay, but sometimes I feel like we're in the middle of a flow and then the question kind of came out of nowhere for me because they had planned it before. So I try to just kind of go with the natural flow of the conversation and see where the associations lead. Mm. It's a scary question for me because I think it creates an opportunity to talk about a lot of things. So I'm trying to think about what the priorities are for me I mean one of the I guess in terms of like podcasting and how we start podcasting and what's on my mind at the moment is usually when I'm interviewing someone I do that introduction and talk about their work or whatever but at the moment I've been thinking a lot about how our professional identities have been really challenged by COVID and a lot of us are asking what do we even do anymore like how has our work changed or what are our professional priorities at the moment? So I suppose that kind of space is quite pertinent to a lot of us at the moment anyway. Um, For me, it's been quite a devastating year in many ways and has changed my work a lot. I guess the starting point might be to talk a little bit about the podcast, which is how we came into contact with each other. Uh, So three ain't a crowd. 
It is a 10-part series podcast exploring the intersection between creativity, mental health and social change. And that was recorded a couple of months ago now, so it's primarily in the summer of 2020, which is kind of hard to conceptualise because I swear, like this year, time is just very confusing and disorienting. Um, But that podcast was really interesting and kind of encapsulated a lot of what I'm interested in, which is really looking at how creative processes can inform the way we think of ourselves, but also the way we think of each other and our relationships. So that is a short way of introducing myself, I think, and maybe we can start from there. I mean, I don't know if you listened to any of the episodes or what your perspective was on it or your take on it. No, I think it's fantastic. And I think, you know, these three things really go together, like mental health and creativity and social change is like as you create, you're you're like processing things in yourself and expressing them to the world. And there's this kind of dynamic of feedback coming from the world through your art. And it, it becomes kind of like a feedback loop but that can create social change. And of course, like artists Um, occupy a realm where they can say a lot of what's going on very directly or indirectly more than people a lot of times feel comfortable with in their kind of normal day-to-day lives. Um, So a lot of social change comes through the arts. And something I've been thinking about a lot lately because um, I just wrote I just wrote a book last year on like creativity and psychoanalysis Um, Mm. specifically on artists that use like cut up techniques and kind of disrupting narratives, which also goes along with social change aspect. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about like how everyone has something inherently creative in them. And a lot of us, like, even if you think about like, it doesn't have to necessarily be music or fine art, but even like baking or gardening or cooking or building. And we used to kind of always be creating like in our day to day lives just to like live. And now a lot of that's kind of provided for us and people don't have those outlets that they used to have. And maybe that's been a real struggle for a lot of people. Mm, I love that. That makes me very excited hearing you say that. I mean, I completely agree. And one of the things that I was thinking about recently is why is it or how is it that we can all be creative? And maybe the point is that creativity isn't actually about the product. It's about the process. Mm -hmm. And that's why gardening or, I don't know, even the way that we exercise sometimes can be creative. And especially given the last year and how catastrophic it's been, we've been forced to be creative in a lot of ways. So maybe there are some radical as well as valuable ways of readdressing creativity as a process. And I think that kind of taps into to what you're talking about a little bit. And it completely changes the accessibility of creativity in the arts because if it's about the process, it doesn't matter what comes at the end. You know, it's really, it really is about the journey. And I often say movement is movement. And to create something is in of itself valuable, not just what we distribute or disseminate afterwards. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And in that way, that's why I think of psychoanalysis a lot as a creative process as well, like reflecting in ourselves. And it kind of is like a kind of similar space, like when you create a piece of art or you step out of your kind of day-to-day stream of life and like go into this kind of other zone for a while and then come back into your day-to-day narrative and I think of psychoanalysis a lot in that same way of kind of cutting you out of your normal like reactive day-to-day life and giving yourself a space to kind of be more creative or imaginative or playful or think about your life in different ways so you can kind of 
think about yourself or rewrite yourself in different ways if you want. Which actually comes back to your opening question. You know, that is the creative moment of being like, okay, we've got a space. What are we going to do with it? I mean, it's like a, it's like a vocal canvas, you know. Quite, it's quite exciting. I feel like I'm getting excited just having this conversation. <laughs> Good, so I love that. In your, in your book, you don't you cover quite a lot of uh, work around poetry, or you have an interest in poetry. Where does that come from? That comes from um, specifically. I like to do cut ups, so I started doing. I never. So my mother's an artist, and so in my lifelong teenage rebellion against her, <laughs> I was always like interested in art and really all my friends were artists but I was not an artist you know my mother's an artist I am not that thing and then I kind of tricked myself into getting (laughs) into being creative myself through doing cut up poetry it was like writing academic articles about artists that that I created so it was like abstracting the whole thing for myself and then finally I heard like like William Burroughs and these beat poets are like very into this idea of like anyone can do this you need to do this yourself don't just watch us do it like try it out and I was like maybe I should listen to them and try doing it myself that was maybe six or seven years ago and then I started uh, cutting up my academic writing and making these like cut up poems and then I realized how amazing they were and how it's like your own words but they're coming back at you in a different way that you would have never or that I would have never put them together in that way but how they still had meaning and were like saying things that I hadn't thought of um, and I just got fascinated with that process and that's when I started writing the book and then for like five years I was just like into like doing these cut up poems and collages and that that sort of thing um, and then my husband's creative. So like I ended up doing like, like he would have a performance and I would get up and like do some spoken word from these cut up poems and that sort of thing. Um, and then finally, like two years ago, I was like, I need to go back to writing that book that I was originally writing when I kind of got on this creative sidetrack. But I'm so glad I did because it's really like changed my whole life. So I'm talking from experience, not just like, oh, people should be creative, but like it really changes your whole life. Mm. I think it's interesting the cutout format as well because I tend to be a much more um, I can't actually think of what the word is unedited style or instantaneous so I'll just write a verse or whatever and then that's it it's done like I, I don't tend to go back and edit it but I would be really interested in exploring particularly psychoanalytically how like what you're saying about when you rearrange your sentence instructions or your stanza or whatever, and the meaning takes a different form or the way that you've articulated something takes a different form. That's really curious from when I work with clients, we might explore what their existing construction suggests or reflects, um, particularly if we think about things like trauma and things being very difficult to express in everyday language, like you mentioned earlier. But suddenly when you put it to lyrics or to spoken word, it becomes more accessible to various degrees. But I can imagine it would be quite shocking to do that kind of cut up and then change the way that it's positioned. I mean, what was that experience like for you? Did you find that it had a different dimension of reflection for you or what kind of happened? Well, for me, it was very liberating. And I think, like I said, I think I kind of tricked myself in a way because I didn't think my think of myself as an artist or someone who could create poetry. So it was like, 
that really that really showed me that anyone could do this because it's like you don't even even know how to structure a poem or structure a piece of work you can just kind of make it by chance and like you don't even have to think of the words like you, like I took my own writing but you could just take like a magazine that's sitting next to you and cut that up and like Tristan Zara when he did it like in the 1920s he would cut out every word like individually and like put them all in a hat and shake it up and then pull them out one by one. So that's how I started doing it. But now I do it with like longer phrases and stuff that I like. If I find like a song that I like that I like a phrase, I'll like write down the phrase and throw it in my box. And then I'll pull, I have a box like all the time that I can pull from. Uh, so for me, it was really liberating. But for example, I, I talked about this um, at Maryland Institute for Contemporary Arts, these like graduate students and like, a couple of them, like they were, they hated it. Like they were like, I can't do this. This is wrong. What are you doing? Like they tried to cut up a piece of their work and it like drove them insane. They were like, no, I have to, like one girl actually was like, I have to put it back together and like re-pieced her piece back together because it, it really upset her. So mm-hmm. I guess everyone could have a different reaction. <laughs> I can understand that though, because I think what's also I've got so much to say. You know when you've got like a million thoughts and then you're like, how am I going to articulate this one by one? Okay, firstly, in terms of the, let's call it the deconstruction of language, I think that's uh, what my interest is or where it origin, origin, originated from in rap because rap music as a language deconstructs and also as a form of percussion, it's quite deconstructing um, as a piece of music. So there's there's that, which maybe we can come back to. But the other thing I was thinking is one of the things that's so powerful about spoken word music, lyrics, anything really creative, is that it's so uniquely yours. And I talk about this quite a lot, but in that construction, for example, only you would think of those words in those orders to make that meaning. So for somebody to suggest that you cut or rearrange that, I can imagine feels quite invasive because you're deconstructing something authentically, whatever authentic is, authentically yours, you know. So I can kind of, um, I can imagine it would be difficult for some people. But again, that comes back to the creative process being important and the openness or the willingness to allow yourself to go into these practices is what's cathartic and is what can even if you don't decide to do it in the end it's it's that moment of reluctance or fear that can tell us more than if we didn't try in the first place so I think that's um I might try that out I wonder what my I don't actually know how I'd feel about it I'm gonna give it a go later I'll let you know it's really fun and like David Bowie used it a lot and uh he actually ended up having like a cut of generator like computer where he would like put mm. uh, phrases of lyrics that he thought of in and then he would let this computer like spit them out in different ways. So like and then he would decide which way that he liked best to to use for his songs. Mm. I mean, that that's definitely something I would do. Um, so one of the elements of my work pre-COVID at least uh, is running groups. So we use uh, primarily rap or spoken word, or sometimes just improvised noises, um, to kind of look at how our associations with a particular word are different, and how they can also change, because it gives us a little bit more flexibility over our, uh, not only our linguistic associations, but also our emotional resilience. So if we take one word like key, 
which I think is a really good example of this. One person will uh, associate key with a musical chord or music. Another person will associate that with being locked away. Another person might experience that as something that opens the door, whatever. So that kind of generator idea can be really useful if you're up for exploring how music, language, creativity can tell you something of your unconscious, possibly. Um, but it can be quite uncomfortable, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I love those different associations. Yeah, and I know you talked about dreams. How did you get into psychoanalysis and mental health in the first place? Who knows? Um, well, I think the two are different. Do I think they're different? Okay, I don't know. Let me, let me just talk it out and see if I can work it out for myself. Okay, so mental health, I think, has always been prevalent in my life and for various reasons. I think my first kind of professional introduction to it was when, I, don't know, I guess it must have been about 14. You know when you're, well, I don't know if you know, but in UK schools, uh, when you do work experience for a couple of weeks, and there were lots, lots of things on offer, so you could go and work in a florist or a boutique, or I, for some reason, always specifically remember the florist and the boutique. I'm sure there are lots of other options too. But I really wanted to work uh, in the local psychiatric hospital. So I ended up contacting them and saying that I wanted to do my work experience there, which I did. And it also happened to be where my nonna, my grandmother, was under section. So there was a, there was a personal connection to the hospital as well. And it was eye-opening in many ways, but also very comfortable. Um, and I think when I look back to that period and that kind of the beginning to conceptualise what mental health means, it was also to some degree, I think, connected to incarceration and uh, people being sectioned under the Mental Health Act because I'm very passionate about working with people who are incarcerated or have experienced incarceration either through sectioning or the criminal justice system and prisons. So I've been thinking quite a lot at the moment about whether the two are actually very much intertwined. So from there, I mean, I come from a, a trade unionist family. So my growing up was very much, I mean, my mother is an artist as well. Um, so she's a visual artist, but she's also a musician. So politics, music, jazz, lots of colour uh, is what I think about when I was growing up. So I always had that kind of in the background and that encouragement. And so I kind of aware of uh, injustice or inequalities and how that entwined or entangled with things like mental health and incarceration. So that began that formulation. The other thing I guess I would say is that not just for me, but for many of us, I think the way that we come to issues of social change or social justice are not necessarily abstract concepts, but are something that are very real and are something that we come to as a necessity for our own survival or because we see the manifestations of these issues in reality. Does that kind of make sense? So mm -hmm. it, it's not just a theoretical interest, but something that, I mean, if you take feminism, as quite an obvious example, I think a lot of women would say that they came to feminism from their own experience. So all of this is going on, and I suppose that then ties in with my interest in peer support and the history of the service user movement, particularly in our mental health, and how people 
work together and organize to change service provision or service design and to uh, kind of take the lead in changing their circumstances. So all of that's going on. Um, <clears throat> are you with me so far? Because I feel like this, this could go on forever. So it's the personal professional interest. And then I started working in mental health. Um, and at the same time, I was doing my, my undergraduate degree within international relations. First, it was law. I am a law school dropout for various reasons that shall not be discussed. Uh, but I changed into international relations and was really interested in political philosophy. But I was also a little bit rebellious in my own way. So rather than doing all the modules on, I think there was like a whole module on Marx. And I was like, I'm not doing Marx, I'm doing art history. So I went and studied um, contemporary art instead, which at the time was not necessarily helpful. But now I can see that it started to come together. We have law in the background, we have political philosophy, and now we have art as well. Uh, but whilst I was studying international relations and political philosophy, I started, again, coming back to feminism in some ways, started reading around Judith Butler or Fanon. And I kept hearing about Freud. So I went and read some Freud, um, wasn't very impressed. I thought this is homophobic, misogynist nonsense. But why are these people that I really respect talking about Freud so much? And so I just kept persevering with it. And eventually it clicked. And I started thinking that actually, I mean, in, in my opinion anyway, a lot of what, uh, if we talk about I don't know, the Oedipus complex, for example, I started thinking, okay, well, again, creatively, maybe this isn't meant literally, like maybe this is more symbolic or metaphorical, whatever. And also, given that psychoanalysis, although I would say it's not about curing and it's not a theory of mental illness, it is certainly applicable in, in terms of mental health and also pathologizing society, rightly or wrongly, you know. Um, so I ended up doing a master's in psychoanalytic studies and that's where I was introduced to Lacan. Um, took a while to get my head around. I mean, I say took a while to get my head around Lacan. It took a while for me to accept Lacan and try to read him. I mean, I'm still trying to read him, you know, um, but it was a really interesting experience. And I, I suppose all of this stuff started to come together and I started to see that it's okay to be interdisciplinary and to take your influence from all these different schools of thoughts or different practices and, and try to compile them together because that in of itself is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the creative process. That was a really long answer. It was a great answer. <laughs> no, and it makes sense too. Like you said, you know, you don't know how these different parts or interests are going to end up fitting together. Like whenever I work with people who are like in their early twenties or just out of college or something, they don't know what to do. And they feel like everyone has these like straightforward paths to their life that they're already on when they're like 22 years old or whatever. Um, I always try to help them understand that like all these different weird twists and turns that you think are like off track or like detours you know they all end up coming together and like making this thing that's uniquely yours that you can work yeah. with and that's why I also love what you talk about like we've been so trained like oh if you're going to be a professional then you, you can't show these aspects of yourself and I think 
the internet on one hand, and then of course this past year with everyone being home with the pandemic has made people more open, I feel like, about like all the different things they're doing and what they're going through and the way they're coping and uh, that sort of thing. Whereas before people might've been more like narrow in like what they would allow other people to see or what they would say about themselves. That is a really tough area though I think because that's certainly something I would relate to in regards to how much do you share of yourself and how do you so one of the things that I'm thinking for example is that I think lived experience is you know people that have experience of whatever you're talking about let's take mental health for example if you have experience of mental health difficulties you are by default in the best position to also identify resolutions or things that would be helpful or whatever. At the same time, I think there is an argument to be made that you shouldn't have to justify everything on the basis of your experience. And I also think that there needs to be some consideration of how we, on the one hand, yes, we destigmatize and we enable conversations to happen where people are able to express their experiences to whatever degree or whatever way they want to at the same time to allow people to change because your experience I mean certainly thinking about 22 where I am now trust me is very different from where I was at 22 and if I was kind of having to publicly or consistently demarcate myself or demarcate my experiences how does that then change? You know, you don't want that same thing necessarily to follow you. And I think particularly if, if we talk about things like the criminal justice system or people talking about their experiences of, of prison, how do we support people to do that without also then having to carry that label with them? Um, so I think it's a really, I don't have the answers at all, but I think it, it, it's a really unexplored area that we could um, flesh out a little bit more. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I can't even imagine having had the internet the way it is now when I was 22. <laughs> and if that was all like recorded for all of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, though. Like, that, that's a really good point. Like social media posts. Um, yeah. I've just gone to a really scary place in my head. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. <laughs> <Can> you imagine? <laughs> well, like my face profiles. Oh, wow. Ugh. Also, I'm thinking about my music choices when I was 22 as well. I would not want to be uh, fixated to them. Not what's the word? What's the word? Not fixated, attached to them. What's the word I mean? Hooked. I don't know. Um, I'm also thinking about my MySpace profile. I used to have some very dodgy hip hop on it. So, yeah, I'm all about change and movement and development. But it is an interesting point, though. And I do think that things like social media um, exacerbate this idea that everybody else is doing so much better than we are. And actually they're not, like we're all winging it really. Um, and we're all trying to do our best, especially at the moment when things are so, so difficult. Um, but there's maybe, there's just a little bit of a gap still, I think, between, I'm actually maybe thinking about it, it's partly because the nature of, some work has changed so I'm self-employed for example which means that I am kind of um, promoting me as well I'm a facilitator so I am or as a researcher I'm promoting myself 
So how does that then tally if you're working for an employer and you're expected to toe the party line in whatever regard, you know? So there's still a lot of change happening in the nature of work, but also the role of the individual within their work. Um, I think it's, it's complicated. What are you doing now? Um, depends. I'm cycling on my exercise bike a lot and dancing flamenco in my kitchen, mostly. Uh, other than that, I am thinking through, at the moment, I'm particularly interested in a form of rap music called UK Drill. Um, and it's something I've been kind of thinking through for, for quite a while. I'm really interested in how we use rap music or how we value rap music to be a way to facilitate social dialogue. So I'm trying to, maybe a bit like you were saying about your book, um, in fact, it's a bit like reading a book. You know, you start a book and then you put it down and you never go back to it. I've got about 10 papers that I'm writing and then I've stopped for five minutes and I'm like, oh, can't, I can't re-engage with it. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to write a few papers on that at the moment. Um, and to be honest, just thinking through what the future is, because it's very difficult to know how to plan at the moment. Um, and I think that's also something that I don't know how open people feel uh, or how liberated people feel to talk about this, but for people working in music and creative industries who are self-employed, it's very difficult at the moment to ascertain exactly what our direction is because you just don't know what's coming. It's not even about what's going to be six months down the line. We don't know what's going to happen next week, you know? Um, so I'm just trying to keep myself busy and reading a lot about Drill, I'm quite interested in class at the moment and how class is uh, affected or impacted by the last year and what class even means. Um, so, yeah, basically sitting around thinking and cycling and dancing. How about you? What are you up to at the moment? Yeah, I can't, I can't write it all right now. I can edit. So there's some like editorial projects I had to do that like I, I just picked them up actually starting yesterday and I'm like, oh, this exactly ended like in March last year. <laughs> like I was working on this in March last year and then haven't touched it since then. So not a surprise. Um, uh, yeah, but I've been just focusing on making art and like doing collages and uh I, I see all my analysis from from home, so everybody's just a voice now. I don't do the the face to face so much, so it's just um, listening, listening in the afternoons, and trying to go outside and take a walk every morning as long as it's not raining. And that's that's all I make myself do. Everything else is like that. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm not judging myself. <laughs> exactly. It is. It's it's hard it's really hard especially if you're very career I mean I am very career driven um and it's also you know there's it's quite I don't even know what the word is it's quite shocking I guess to go from being quite a social job and doing events and running groups and all this kind of stuff to being like oh I can't actually do any of this anymore um and having to change Tack. But also I, I find myself, um, there's this weird phenomenon that there is so much to do. I've been teaching myself to DJ and 
I really need to get back to it. They're in a box under my table right now because I got them out and I was like, no, it's too difficult. I can't do it. And then I sit and I think there is so many things that I want to do, like, you know, read or DJ or write music or whatever. But you find yourself in these positions where you're so stressed and you're so uncertain that it's very difficult to engage with the things that you ideally would like to. And I, I kind of, I find it almost a little bit daunting to say that because we kind of feel like we have to constantly be like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm working on this project and this project. And actually, at the moment, for a lot of us, that isn't possible. So I suppose I just want to extend a solidarity with other people that it is difficult right now. And, you know, my list of books that I want to read is stacking up high. But like you say, if you just have an opportunity to go for a walk or to do take a shower in a day sometimes that is good enough and good enough is good yeah exactly I've been taking a lot of baths it's so cold here uh in Stockholm so if I go out I have to take a bath afterwards which is like oh shucks (laughs) I have to take a bath so I've been taking a lot of walks and baths and then otherwise listening and I have been listening to records more lately because I just am trying to not be on the computer if possible during the day so instead of like having Spotify or something on I actually like set up my record player and like got a new needle and like have been actually listening to records so that's been nice and then also like listening to the whole albums again you know because they're on an LP instead of like on a shuffle playlist that's been really nice as well it's like it feels like a lost kind of pastime that I used to have that I haven't practiced in a long time Mm. who are you listening to Oh, well, I have a friend uh, named Emil Amos, and he has, like, five bands, and so I have a lot of his records. Um, it's, like, Grails and Holy Sons. It's kind of more instrumental stuff. And then, actually, my yesterday, I just had, like, an impromptu podcast um, interview with DJ Spooky, and he's actually someone I was listening to when I was, like, 22, and he talks a lot about you know, he's a DJ, but he also like talks a lot about kind of the theory around like taking samples and mixing them and remixing them and mashing things up and that sort of thing. So when I was writing this book last year, I, I realized that and I was like, oh, I used to love him. And then it was fun to see like all this theory around this music that I used to like. Um, so I've been listening to that more as well. That's interesting because you've mentioned 22 a few times so it seems like you're you're in your 22 nostalgia (laughs) I'm quite nice yeah and my husband's daughter is actually turning 22 on Saturday so that might have something to do with it (laughs) (laughs) if we're going to be psychoanalysts about it (laughs) tomorrow will be the 22nd so you see we can find this number (laughs) everywhere love it (laughs) Was there anything else that you wanted to be sure to mention? Um, So I should probably do a social plug. So if you're interested in listening to the podcast, it's called Three Ain't a Crowd. It is available on iTunes, Spotify. I'm going to say it's available on Alexa. I don't really understand how that works, but I am told that it is on Alexa is that even a thing it's on Alexa you can ask Alexa for the podcast or whatever the the phrasing is for that 
Um, if you're interested in my work, you can find my website www.vandercanton.co.uk and my Instagram is at vandercanton. Twitter is vandercanton2 and for the record, that's W-A-N-D-A. Cool. And I saw this post that you just made. Um, I don't remember her name, but this pod- podcast you did with a woman about um, like what you can do kind of after incarceration and being creative. And would you talk more about that? So that's Lady Unchained. Um, she is amazing. Uh, she's just put out her new song, The Forgotten People. And she's also, I mean, Lady Unchained has been doing so much work at the moment. She just won multiple awards for her work. She runs a uh, a night or an event. I don't know what the situation is with that at the moment, but it's called um, Unchained Poetry. So it's particularly promoting spoken word and music for people who have experienced the criminal justice system. And yes, yeah, so she came on the podcast. Um, we met, I don't know, like, Three years ago, so I uh, work and volunteer with a uh, prisoner's arts trust foundation. And we met through that and uh, kind of came, we stayed in touch, became friends. um, And her work is just phenomenal. So I definitely encourage everyone to to check out that song, The Forgotten People. But she's on the podcast as well, talking about her experience of prison. Um, And we talk quite a lot about uh, prison industrial complex about race about identity about gender um but she's a she's a very wise and inspiring and talented woman fantastic yeah and i know and even though a lot of people are feeling very inspired and relieved after yesterday's inauguration there's still like so much work to do because at least in the states it's like the prison industrial complex and the military and the pharmaceutical companies and the food industry and the education and the hospital system and the mental health care it's all systemically problematic and it needs to be like really dismantled and like rebuilt in completely different ways because it's uh it is a serious, serious force, and it is going to be tough to to dismantle that. I would say that that's also just on a final point is is something that's very important when we think about uh, to come back to rap music, because things like UK Drill. One of the things that I'm looking at, at the moment is what's the impact of there's a lot of um, policies and uh, actions taken by the police and the government to censor or to criminalise drill artists. So I'm kind of interested in, in what the repercussions are of that, particularly because it disproportionately, as per usual, affects black and minority ethnic communities. Um, so I think, watch this space. Like, I think there's a lot to be said about that and how music is used or censored um, to perpetuate these social circumstances and these these social inequalities that we're talking about. Interesting. Mm. And then usually at the end of the episode, I put a like a song. So, but I would love to put one of your tracks. Yeah, you can. That would be great. Cool. I will send you something. I have to think about it. Um, but that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be. Really actually, good. I recently I actually have written an EP that I want to put out. Um, but I'm still mixing and mastering. And it, again, it's one of those things when you're kind of like every morning, what should I do today? Okay, I'm going to finish my EP. And then it's like, you know, the months are, are clocking by now. But yeah, I'll send you something. Yeah, 
I mean, we just getting through the days is all we can do right now. Exactly. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> day by day. One step at a time. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Vanda Canton. For more, please visit her website, vandacanton.co.uk. That's W-A-N-D-A-C-A-N-T-O-N dot C-O dot U-K. And follow her at Instagram at vandacanton. One of her guests on Three in a Crowd was S. Alfonso Williams. So if you enjoyed episodes of Rendering Unconscious with S. Alfonso Williams, you'll love Three in a Crowd. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry from Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated for more information you can also visit my website drvanessasinclair.net or the podcast main website renderingunconscious.org
only comfort in company Can't bear the skin we're in Won't be shh for the truth Pudding is proof The fat will protrude Like the muscle is cold And it can't keep me strong But it's soothed Cycled, wish she escaped, wish she had learned the extent of her rage Words take my breath, I question what's left No language, I'm stranded, lost in my mess Lately I'm failing, I'm flailing, I'm hailing Caught up in the storm, like my head always raining